start it. So just, you could just say whatever you want. It could be gibberish. <laughs> Hi, it's Wendy for the Nomadic Vegan. <laughs> there you go. Okay, perfect. Off in the midst of nothingness and unknowing. Follow the compass like my heart is showing. episode of Will Work for Food. My name is Kaylin Otto and this is my podcast. So if you haven't listened before, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for listening and if you have, welcome back. So I basically run a travel blog online and I share with you everything that I've learned along the way which can be really weird lessons or something really inspiring or sad or whatever and I also aim to teach you how to travel and travel with no money if that's how you choose to do so, because it's possible. So I've been sitting back and considering a lot of things about my blog lately, and I realized that I've shared more about lessons that I've learned than I have about how to travel with no money. So just something to look forward to in the future, I'm going to be sharing more how-to tips and videos and articles and things like that, because recently people have been asking me, like, how do you do this? You know, and I'm like, here's this post, one post that I wrote on how you do it, check this out, and then I just realized that I need to have more on there, a more rounded um, explanation of how you can do what I'm doing. So, just to let you know, look for that, (laughs) if that's something that you're interested in. Um, Also, keep an eye out, I'm starting up an email list, so you'll get my latest podcast episodes when they come out. I'll probably only send one email a week, if that. You'll probably get an update of any articles that I've written, where I'm at, any like cute little stories if I want to share anything like that, and then anything else that's interesting. So they won't be long emails and they won't be often, but just make sure to check that out because that will be exciting. Like I'd, I'd actually want to be on that email list. <laughs> so I would definitely look out for that. And what else? I wanted to share a couple more things. So I'm still in New Mexico right now. And I'm just doing a very brief introduction to this podcast because, once again, I want to just get right into the interview. I interviewed a wonderful person this week who's actually given me a lot of tips and um, has encouraged me to set up this email list and things like that. And their name is Wendy. So you are going to hear today from Wendy. Wendy, the nomadic vegan, um, is her blog. And Wendy just wrote a book. Wendy's been to 100 countries, and Wendy is wonderful. So you're going to get to hear from Wendy this interview, and Wendy's going to give you some tips on how you can travel and um, some ways you can travel that maybe align with your values a little bit more. And it's just really cool. I love hearing Wendy's story, and not not story, not just story, Wendy's stories that she also shares about travel um, and her story about growing up. But yeah, listen in on that. And if you know of someone who could benefit from listening to this 
podcast interview, make sure you send it on over to them. So anyways, let's get right into it this week, and I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. All right, are you ready to go? I'm ready. Okay, perfect. So welcome to the podcast, Wendy. I am so excited to have you. Um, Like we talked about a little bit ago, I've been following your blog for a little bit, and you talk about two things that are really important to me, and that's travel and veganism. So I think it's definitely perfect to have you on the show. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for having me. And yeah, those are two things that are probably the two most important passions in my life. And so yeah, it's great that we can share those passions and talk more about it. Oh yeah, awesome. So Do you just want to introduce yourself? Your name's Wendy. I have a hard time with your last name, so if you could say that (laughs) for me, that would be great. Yeah, so my name is Wendy Werneth. Werneth, okay. okay, And uh, I have a website and blog called The Nomadic Vegan, Mm -hmm. where um, I show people how they can be vegan anywhere and spread compassion everywhere. Um, Basically, the inspiration for the blog was when I became vegan myself, which was not that long ago. It was uh, just about three years ago, a little bit less. Um, so I'm still a relatively new vegan, although I don't feel like a new vegan because it's yeah. just such a huge part of my life right now. It's hard to imagine that I was ever not vegan. Right. Um, but yeah, I, you know, so the, the passion for travel came first and that's something that I've had for a very long time and I've been traveling the world for about 18 years now. Oh my gosh. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so awesome. when I became vegan or was first thinking about becoming vegan, I was worried that it would just ruin travel. Uh I thought it was going to turn travel into a huge hassle. I didn't even know if it was going to be possible to be vegan in some of the places where I'd already been and also some of the places that I still wanted to visit. Mm -hmm. And... So that was one of the things that held me back for for a long time, actually. I mean, it took me a few months to make the full transition to veganism. But once I did, I discovered that actually being vegan made travel even better. And yeah. I honestly enjoyed travel even more now that I'm vegan. And I found that shocking because it was yeah. <laughs> such the opposite of what I had expected to happen. Right. And so I knew that there must be other people out there who had those same fears and same misconceptions that I did. Mm-hmm. And that's why I started The Nomadic Vegan, where I you know, share my discoveries of vegan food all over the world and give people tips and advice on how they can enjoy traveling as a vegan. And then I've also recently published my first book called Veggie Planet, which also talks about vegan food around the world. And maybe we can talk about that a little bit later. But in a nutshell, that's who I am and what I do. That is so awesome. And that's funny you say that about three years being vegan and it seems like a long time because I think it's been about the same time for me that I've been vegan for three years and it feels like a lifetime like (laughs) I feel like you cycle through it so fast that it does it seems like 20 years you know it's hard to imagine not being that way so I definitely relate with that um but I'm really excited to get into how you got to that point of blogging and being vegan and different things like that and I wanted to start And kind of go through your life growing up because I've read, you know, and looking at your blog that you've gone over to a hundred, gone over um, to a hundred countries at least. 
Yeah, exactly countries? 100 so far. Wow. So, uh, okay. And I'm leaving in a couple of weeks to go to South Africa, so that oh will my be my 101st country. Yay. But as of right now, it's 100. <laughs> that is so amazing. I, you know, you don't meet people all the time who's like, yes, 101 countries under my belt already. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, I'm not that big on country counting in general and, right. you know, keeping bucket lists and things like that because I think sometimes it can kind of detract from the experiences mm-hmm. of travel if you're constantly just trying to tick things off of a list and right. say, okay, I've been there, what's the next thing, you know, so... I wasn't keeping a count the whole time, but I kind of had a general idea. And then once I knew that I was getting close to 100, then I thought, okay, let me actually count this up and figure yeah. it out. And so, yeah, now it's nice to say that I've hit that milestone of, right. of 100 countries. Right. That's so many experiences and so many different people that you've met, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that is so awesome. Okay, so we'll go back a little bit just so people know kind of what you do and what your blog about. But let's go back a little bit just to know you a little more personally. So I have some questions for you, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. Um, one, I'm starting to do this on my podcast now. What pronouns do you prefer? Do you do she, her, they, them? I do she and her. Okay, all right, perfect. And this is the first one. It's really weird where I got this question. Someone actually asked me this on a dating app, and I was like, wow, that's really good for podcasting. (laughs) Um, But the first question is, if you had to choose three objects to represent yourself, what would they be? And then why did you choose those three? Three objects. Yes. All right. Um, I'm going to say the first one is my backpack. Mm-hmm. So the, the pack, the rucksack that I carry all my stuff in when I'm traveling. Um, just because that, yeah, that is such a big part of my life. And there have been long periods of my life where I was literally living out of that backpack. You yeah. know, I didn't have any other belongings with me and I would just travel with what I had there um, for months at a time. Um, and the one that I have now is actually not my favorite one. I had a backpack that I used for years and years, but the zipper eventually broke on it and I've been meaning to get it repaired Mm -hmm. because they actually have a lifetime guarantee. It's Eagle Creek is the brand if you're interested. And, uh, I really loved that, that pack. And then I bought another pack from them, the same brand, but they didn't have the same exact model. They weren't selling that anymore. And that one just doesn't fit me in the same way. The right. new one that I have, I just can't get it to fit. And Aww. I really miss my old backpack that's right. currently just sitting under the bed, not doing anything. That's because, so sad. Uh, zipper is broken. <laughs> right. Oh, gosh. Got to get that zipper fixed. I know. I do. <laughs> so, okay. That's my first object. Okay. Second object. Well, um, I would probably say my laptop. Mm-hmm. Just because that's where I do all my writing, uh, which is something that I really enjoy, and it's a way that I can express myself and share my message with people. And, you know, I do uh, all kinds of work from my laptop that I carry with me, you know, when I'm traveling. So I use it when I'm at home, I use it from anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so I guess it kind of exemplifies the digital nomad lifestyle. Right. 
that I'm living now, which right. a lot of people are doing these days. And oh, that's yeah. really cool because that was not an option when I first started. You know, 18 yeah. years ago, we didn't have laptops that could fit inside a backpack or, you know, they were really, really heavy if they right. did exist. And, um, and you didn't have, you know, Wi-Fi or, yeah, yeah all of that kind of stuff either. Yeah. Um, so it's really exciting to live in this day and age and to be able to, you know, to live this kind of location-independent lifestyle and just go wherever I want and do the work that I do from wherever I happen to be. Yeah. Um, yeah, so awesome. that would be my second object. Yeah. Uh, let me see. I have to think of a third one. Mm. Okay, this is kind of weird because I don't actually own this object okay. or anything that has this object on it. It's kind of a new thing, but I just heard about it recently, and I'm really excited about it. So I don't know if you've heard about it, Kaylin. Mm -hmm. Do you know about the vegan flag? No. Do you know that vegans have an official flag now? I have not heard about that. What? Wow. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, I didn't know. No. Yeah, so it was created just a month or so ago, I think, mm -hmm. um, by an Israeli guy, a vegan, obviously, um, who designed this flag. Um, it's pretty cool. It's like a V, a white V shape, and then there's green above the the V and blue below. Okay. So, you know, it has a lot of symbolism. Obviously, the V stands for vegan. Yeah. And then the green, the white, and the blue represent the air land and sea and it's supposed to symbolize the fact that you know we are protecting the animals that live in on the land and in the air and in the sea wow um, that's amazing yeah oh and i just love the idea of having this symbol that yeah. vegans from all around the world can kind of rally behind and you know hopefully unify us a bit as right. a movement and you know as soon as you see it you can identify and say right. oh that person's vegan yeah um, <laughs> I feel like I'm so, looking for that all the time I'm like how do I tell who's vegan just because you know you're like oh yeah we have all these cool things to talk about and we relate really easy I feel like I'm always looking for things that I'm like hmm what are they getting in their grocery cart or what's on their shirt so that's awesome yeah, that there's actually yeah. a flag now there is a flag and like I said it's a very new thing so um there aren't I mean there are a few people who are selling the actual flag but I don't think there's that much merchandise or things like that that have the image of the flag on it but anyone can create merchandise if they want to so the creator of the flag uh God Hakimi he's made it you know open source so he just wants anyone to use it. And he says, I don't care, you know, if you're making a bunch of money off of it, like, that's great. Just take yeah. it and do whatever you want with it. Um, so he just wants it to get out there and to be a, a universal symbol that anyone can use, oh which I think is really cool. That is really cool. I'm, I'm surprised that we, like, as a movement, we didn't do that sooner, actually. I right. mean, now that yeah. I think about it, that's <laughs> kind of surprising. <laughs> But I'm glad that someone yeah, did it. Yeah, I guess it is. And it's it's been a little bit controversial. I mean, I guess there are always going to be, you know, com haters or people who don't like the idea. Um, yeah. So people have said, oh, you know, we don't need a, a flag because we're not, you know, veganism is not about vegans. And mm -hmm. this flag is making it too much about 
the people in the movement rather than the animals, which is what it should be about. And, right. you know, I mean, there, there are different ways that you can look at it. But, you know, people are saying, basically, we're not an oppressed group. Mm-hmm. So we shouldn't have a flag in the same way that, you know, the queer movement should have the rainbow flag and things right. like that. Right. Um, and, you know, I guess I can understand the point, but I, I think overall it is a good thing. And I don't think, I don't know, I mean, it, veganism is about people because we are the ones, people, you know, vegans and non-vegans, we're all the ones who are who are impacting the world in this way right. and the lives of animals uh, you know we're the ones that that hold their our lives in our hands yeah. and we're the Quite ones literally. it's up to us to, to do something about the current situation right. and so i think it's a good thing right i'm gonna have to think about that more and look into it i'm glad that you um use that as one of your symbols that's really interesting <laughs> i do think um very baby thoughts because i just learned about this very small thoughts yeah, but yeah. um <laughs> I guess I do think that is a good way to unify and kind of pull us together because I do think that definitely in this movement there's strength in numbers when we get together and we do (laughs) activism and we share ideas and we support each other. So I think that could be really good for that. But I I guess we'll see. Yeah. What I would love is, and this is actually combining two of my symbols, two of my objects, I would love to have a patch that I could put on my backpack, a vegan flag, a backpack patch yeah so that, because a lot of people do that you know yeah. they'll stitch flags of the countries that they've been to or maybe just their home country so right. people know where they're from um and stitch those onto their packs and i would love to have a vegan flag and probably yeah, a lot of people won't know what it is in the beginning but maybe they'll ask me oh what country is that and you're like wow and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you <laughs> Yeah. So I think it could be a great conversation starter and a great way to introduce people to the movement. Oh, yeah. So we'll see. I definitely I might have to make that patch myself because I don't think it exists yet. Right. uh, Like I said. (laughs) There's a good idea for one of the things you could make. Oh, that is so cool. Okay, I love it. So after that, I wanted to go back just to your childhood a little bit, because I was wondering if there was anything that kind of happened to you, like if you started traveling then, or if your parents were really like, yeah, go explore. Is there anything that happened in your childhood that you felt kind of pushed you to move in this direction that you are now? Yeah, I think I definitely inherited my love for travel from my dad. Okay. Um, he didn't really have that many opportunities to travel in his lifetime, and unfortunately he passed away a few day, a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but he always loved travel and the idea of travel. And my mom, not so much. She's more <laughs> the kind of person that just lives in the same town her whole life yeah. and, you know, has her daily routine and doesn't have any desire to to think outside of that. Right. Um, but my dad really loved, you know, learning about other places around the world. And so we used to have these books up on our bookshelves and they were series, you know, so there'd be a whole series about different famous monuments around the world okay. or different famous cities around the world and things like that. And I remember when I was very little, 
I used to say, Daddy, let's go on a trip. And that would mean that he would take down one of these books and we would look through it and look at the pictures and he would tell me about these places that he'd never been to himself. But for me, that was, you know, us going on a trip. And, uh, yeah, that's one of the fondest memories that I have of my dad, actually. And so, yeah, that was where my love for travel started. I mean, my actual travels didn't start until much later, apart from we would go on family vacations to Disney World or to the beach, and we would every year go back to the same beach and stay in the same condo. Right. You know, we we had those kinds of vacations that were just about relaxing and being on the beach, Um, but not exploring, you know, new and exciting places and having different adventures. So the first time I did that was... Actually, in high school, I went on a trip to Mexico with my Spanish teacher, my high school Spanish teacher. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I loved it. And, yeah, I I remember when we were coming home, it was a pretty short trip, um, just a week or so, I think. But we were coming home, and my Spanish teacher, who was leading the trip, said something to me like, oh, isn't it doesn't it feel great to be back home? And I thought, no. <laughs> no, I want to keep going. I want to yeah. go back home. <laughs> right. And, um, yeah, I, you know, it wasn't until after college, I went, you know, after I graduated from high school, then I went on to college. Mm-hmm. And then after I call it, after college, I worked for a few months uh, at Disney World, actually. Of oh, all wow. Places. That's awesome. <laughs> that I my... think. <laughs> like, well, I think yeah, it would be. <laughs> um, yeah, it led to good things because yeah. actually that was what led me or gave me my first opportunity to really go abroad long term and live in another country. Okay. So I had been working in Disney World in Florida mm-hmm. for a few months. And then they have an exchange program, a work exchange with Disneyland Paris. Oh, in wow. France. And I applied for that, and they accepted me. So, yeah, I went and worked in Disneyland Paris, and that was my first kind of real grown-up experience traveling and living abroad. And how long were you there for? I was in Paris. uh, Well, we were living outside of Paris, close to Disney. I was there for 15 or 16 months, something like that. Wow. Yeah. Um, It started off, it was supposed to be a six-month contract initially, (laughs) and then I extended it because I didn't want to go back home. Yeah. And then after a year, I extended it again. I still didn't (laughs) want to go back home. Um, Not because I loved the job. I actually didn't like the job very much at all. Yeah. But, you know, I just, I enjoyed being there and meeting all these different people, and eventually I I quit because I couldn't take the job anymore. It was too stressful. Um, and then I just kind of wandered aimlessly around Europe for a few months until I figured out different things to do. Right. Oh, wow. That sounds like a really cool first experience. Did you have a lot of friends there that you had met through the program or were you kind of meeting, um, people outside of that, outside of work? It was mostly people I met through work. Um, yeah. So there was a group of us, about 20 or 30 Americans who came from Disney World in Florida and Disneyland in California. And, uh, we all came over together through this program and I made some really close friends. Actually, 
one of my very best friends to this day is a girl that I met through that program, and she's she now lives in Paris. She, she whoa, uh, her life partner is the guy that she was working with, a French guy who she met wow. also through that program. Um, and now they have kids together, and they live in Paris. And yeah, it's they they're wow. great. That's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, so I met the Americans, but I also met a lot of other people from different parts of the world, mainly European countries, okay. because. They and they Disney will employ lots of short-term workers, especially during the summer, mm-hmm. um, because they need people who can speak different languages and communicate with the guests who are coming from different countries. Right. Uh, so we were living together, uh, not just the Americans, but also all these other kind of short-term workers from mainly Europe and also from Canada as well. Okay. And so that was a lot of fun. It was, uh, yeah, it was like an extension of college, really, because the residence area where we lived was just kind of like a college campus, and there yeah. were parties going on all the time, and yeah, it was, that was the part that I really loved about it. Wow, that seems like a really cool environment. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm imagining college, but with all these people from all over the world, and I just, I don't know how it could get much better than that. <laughs> <laughs> That is so awesome. Yeah, it was great. So what did you start doing after that? Have you had other jobs that you really liked? Um, I don't, I I guess from what I understand from your blog, you started your blog when you went vegan. So that was a few years ago. So what were you kind of doing before that? Yeah, I've done a lot of different things over the years. So... Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm giving away my age here. So I'm 41. Yeah. Uh, so I left when I, well, I was. it was 1999, so mm-hmm. 18 years ago. So yeah, like I said, that was shortly after college. I've okay. just been working in, in for a few months in Florida, and then I moved to Paris when I was 22, 23, I guess, something like that. Okay. Um, and yeah, I've done a lot of different things over the years. Um, I was working as a tour guide in Rome in Italy for for quite a while so I gave walking tours around the city and I didn't really stay there year-round it was more of a seasonal job because most of the tourists come during the summer so I would work for a few months in the summer and then I would go off and travel in some other part of the world over the winter and then Mm -hmm. I would come back and do it again so I did that for four summers in a row oh wow and that's actually where I met my husband um who he he's Australian and he was a tourist at the time he was traveling in Europe and he was a tourist on at that time I was already a tour guide and he was a tourist on my friend's tour and then he ended up staying and becoming a tour guide himself oh so we kind of became co-workers and friends and then eventually we became more than friends oh Um, wow all these people all these stories of people meeting internationally (laughs) (laughs) like wow i gotta get out of the country (laughs) (laughs) yeah have you ever been out of the country before yes i spent a year in south america so i backpacked through different countries there but that was yeah that's been it so far so i'm excited to do it again. I want to go to Europe next. So it's really cool to hear about that. 
Yeah, Europe is fantastic. It's, uh, I mean, there's so much diversity, you know, you mm-hmm. say Europe, but that's like many different countries, right. dozens of countries right. um, who that all have their own culture, their own language, their own history, but in a pretty small geographic area, yeah. you know, so, I mean, you can cross the United States from one coast to the next and uh to the other and they're still in the same country I mean, right I know there's diversity in different ways yeah but in Europe it's you really feel it a lot more right that is so cool okay that that makes me look forward it to it a lot more actually now um so was there a certain point where you're like I just want to make travel my life and I want to be nomadic or did it just kind of happen I think it was a gradual kind of organic thing. I don't know if I can pinpoint one place in time when I decided, okay, this is my lifestyle and I'm going to do this forever. Yeah. Um, Because when I first left, like I said, when I left to go to Paris, that was for a six-month contract. And then I thought I was coming back home to the U.S. after six months. But that didn't happen. And then I kept extending, extending. And, you know, I knew I wasn't ready to go home And then eventually I think I realized, okay, I'm just never going to be ready to go home. (laughs) I mean, obviously I I do go back to visit. My mom still lives in in the hometown where I grew up, which is in Mobile, Alabama. Oh, okay. Um, So I go back there to visit, but I've never gone back to live or to spend more than probably two weeks at a time. Uh Oh, maybe a month at a time is the longest that I've been there in the past 18 years or so. Um, yeah, but like I said, I don't know when I realized, okay, this is actually a permanent lifestyle. And actually, um, I, I did try to settle down at one point, even though it wasn't going back to the U.S., but I was offered a job in Geneva, Switzerland, working for the U.N. Okay. And I accepted that job. So that was in 2010, about seven years ago now. And at that time, yeah, I thought I was done traveling because I had this, I mean, I knew that I was going to keep going on short trips Yeah. and I did the whole time that I was living in Geneva. Um, Geneva is very central in Europe and the airport is really close to the city. So it was very easy to just, you know, hop on an easy jet flight and go, you know, for a weekend trip. And then right. I also got six weeks paid vacation every year. So wow. I would make the most of that. Right. And, you know, I was traveling a lot by most people's standards, but it still wasn't enough for me. And after a while, I realized, no, I, I'm not ready for this and I never am going to be ready for this. I need more freedom and I need to be able to travel more. So my husband and I lived there for about six years. And then at the end of 2016, we both quit our jobs and decided that now we're pretty much semi-nomadic. So yeah. <laughs> we've moved our <laughs> we've moved our home base from Geneva to Lisbon in Portugal. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we're living now, and we plan to be in Lisbon for about six months out of the year, and then to travel the other half of the year. And I think that that's going to work pretty well for us because we can have a bit of stability, you know, right. have a home to come back to, and not just be living out of a backpack the whole time. Right. But at the same time, we have lots of freedom, and you know, can travel when we want to for that amount of time. So, what do you do when you are at home? When you're taking that time just to kind of. I don't know, do you regroup or is that where you do a lot of work and blogging or what do you kind of do then? 
Yeah, it has gone by so quickly. I mean, we moved here in January, so it's now been, I guess, about eight months. But okay. I feel like we've hardly been here at all. I mean, we have we have been on a couple of trips in that time. So we spent about a month in Italy and Malta. And then we also walked the Camino de Santiago, which is a medieval pilgrimage route across northern Spain. Yeah. So we took about six weeks to do that. Um, but yeah, we've been here, I, I don't know, we've spent maybe, I guess, at least five months in Lisbon, but okay. it's been broken up, you know, and so much of it, we were just busy buying furniture and doing all the paperwork that was required for us to move here and, you know, yeah. live here legally. And there's just been so much to do that I still don't feel settled in here. You know, okay. I mean, I love it here and I love our apartment and, but it doesn't really feel like home yet, you yeah. know, just because I feel like I've hardly been here at all. Right. So, but yeah, I have been doing a lot of work. Um, blogging and writing my book Veggie right. Planet which uh, was just released uh, a couple of weeks ago Yay. so I wrote that yeah most wrote most of it while we were here okay and um and I also do a bit of freelance work still for the UN I do some translation and editing work for okay. them um so I've been doing some of that while we've been here too I've been very busy with lots of things yeah yeah that definitely sounds like it Wow, how did yeah. you pick that as a place to be your kind of home base there? Well, we knew we wanted to stay in Europe um, because we both love Europe. And uh, we were in Switzerland on a visa that was tied to my job at the UN. So okay. as soon as I resigned from that job, then that meant that we were going to lose our right to live in Switzerland. So yeah. we had to find another way to do it. And Portugal turned out to be the easiest, just in terms of the immigration and residency requirements. It wasn't that difficult for us to be able to set up our home base here, which is great because, you know, I only have a U.S. passport. My husband only has an Australian passport. Um, we actually don't even have each other's passports yeah. you know, so, because we've never lived in the U.S. or in Australia together since okay. we've been married. Um, and now we found a way that we could live in Europe. So that was kind of the initial draw um, for Portugal in particular was kind of just because the immigration laws were, right. were easy here. But there are lots of other reasons that we really love it here too. So it's a beautiful city. Lisbon is a beautiful city. Mm -hmm. The weather is wonderful. It's sunny for most of the year, but not blazing hot either. You know, okay. it's for the most, most of the time, it's a really nice temperature. Uh, I love the light here. It's mm. pretty affordable, very affordable by Western European standards. It's yeah. one of the cheapest countries in Western Europe. Oh, wow. So that's nice, especially coming from Switzerland, which is one of the most expensive places in the world. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, now that we're, you know, not living on Swiss salaries anymore and, you know, doing freelance work and things like that, it's nice to have a more affordable home base. Yeah. And, yeah, there are lots of things we love about it. So it's a great place. And there's lots of vegan food here. Ooh. Even though the, the traditional Portuguese cuisine is actually not vegan at all. Like okay. It's, it's all about the meat and the fish. But there are quite a few vegan and vegetarian restaurants that have opened up in Lisbon, and there are more that are opening up all the time. So we yeah. really enjoy eating out here, too. Oh, that's awesome. Is it... 
do you feel like you have a lot of options when you go to the grocery store too? Just veggies and um, fruits or Yeah, actually the grocery stores are not great here. Okay. Um I mean they do have health food stores like organic food stores yeah. uh that have more options, but the standard grocery store it's yeah, I mean of course you can always get fresh produce. Right. And you can always get beans and things yeah. like that. But um, if you want specialty products in terms of vegan cheese and, you know, vegan meats and even tofu, like it's hard to find good tofu yeah. in our local grocery store. Oh. Um, <laughs> so that's kind of disappointing. But yeah, yeah I, but it, you, you figure out where to find things. You know, there are places that we can go that are kind of more specialty shops that do sell that stuff. So okay. it's just a matter of figuring out where those places are. Oh, very neat. Do you have any pictures up? I haven't seen it yet, but do you have pictures up or anything on your blog of the, of where you're living right now or anything like that? Um, I've posted on Instagram. I've po- I mostly post food photos on there. So I've okay. posted quite a few photos from, you know, restaurants in Lisbon of the different things that I've been eating here. Okay. Um, but not so much of, like, the you know, the cityscapes or yeah. you know, the scenery around here. Okay. Um, and I haven't really, yeah, I haven't written that much about Portugal on the blog yet either. So I will do that one day. I guess I'm just kind of waiting until I, I know it really well and yeah. I visited all the places so that I can talk about all of them. Um, yeah. That's, that's okay. We'll stay posted. <laughs> something to look forward to. <laughs> yeah. Very yeah. cool. So when or how did you get... I know when, actually, three years ago, but how did you get introduced to veganism? Yeah, um, it was not something that I was really aware of at all. Uh, obviously, I knew what vegetarianism was, and I had kind of dabbled with vegetarianism off and on. Uh, for, college was the first time that my freshman year of college, I did go vegan for, uh, sorry, vegetarian uh, for, I don't know, a few months, mm-hmm. but it never really stuck. And I never really made the connection, even though I had this kind of underlying sense that I was uncomfortable with eating animals. Yeah. I didn't, re- the penny didn't fully drop. Yeah. Know, I didn't really understand. And I had no idea about the dairy and egg industries right. and the horrible things that animals go through in those industries. I really thought that those were completely harmless. Mm-hmm. Um, so veganism was not on my radar at all. I'd never met a vegan before to my knowledge, but it actually started with an interest in health, okay. even though now the animals are very much my main motivation and my main focus. And the reason that I'm passionate about spreading the vegan message is yeah. for the animals. Um, but what drew me to it initially was an interest in health. So I mentioned that my dad passed away a few years ago mm-hmm. uh, from complications from type 1 diabetes, which he had lived with for as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm. And he died a very slow and very painful death. And mm-hmm. I saw that happen and knew that I didn't want it to happen to me. So right. I suddenly had a newfound interest in my own personal health and was researching about that a bit online. And I somehow came across this online summit called the Food Revolution Summit, Okay. which uh, it happens every year. It's a free online event. And it's hosted by John Robbins and his son, Ocean Robbins. So John is the author of Diet for a New America, which oh. is a book that came out. 
Yeah. yeah, it was a long time ago. It's, yeah. have, do you know that book? Yes, I do. I, I have it, and I think I've only read parts. Of, oh, no, no, no. That Yeah, I've read that whole thing. That's like, oh, when I read it, I was like, this is my Bible book. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, he and his son, they interview uh, experts in plant-based nutrition and diet and medicine mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, people who I'm sure you've heard their names before, you know, Caldwell Esselstyn and mm-hmm. T. Colin Campbell and, um, yeah, these doctors who are experts in plant-based health, which is something that was completely new to me. I'd never heard these names before. Yeah. Except... There was also one interview with Alicia Silverstone, which, um, well, I'm showing my age here again because I'm about the same age as Alicia. Okay. (laughs) And so she was, you know, one of my idols when I was a teenager. I really looked up to her and I loved watching her movies and her videos. You know, she was in some music videos of Aerosmith and things like that. Uh So that was, that was the one name that I knew. And so I really paid attention to her interview in the summit. And she was the one that was talking about the animals really more than anyone else. Most of them were talking about health, but, uh, her main motivation for being vegan is also for animals and, you know, compassion for them. And so, yeah, I really listened to what she had to say. And then I don't know if it was fate or destiny or what, but a few days after that, I came across her book at a used book sale and her book is called The Kind Diet. Uh-huh. And so I picked it up and I bought that book and brought it home. And at that time, I wasn't really seriously considering going vegan. I didn't, that just seemed too extreme. Like we were talking about before, it just, uh, you know, I didn't think that I would ever be able to do that. Yeah. But the way that she presented it in the book, you know, she made it say, sound like, okay, well, you don't have to go all the way. You can just flirt with this. Yeah. You know, you can go to your local health food store, pick up a few items that you've never tried before. Here's some recipes, try these out and just flirt with veganism and see where it goes. And that's what I did. And then it just, I kept going further and further down this path and educating myself and learning more and feeling more and more compelled to follow a vegan lifestyle. So after a few months, eventually I got there. Wow, that's awesome. Someone actually handed – I went to the um, Animal Rights Forum this summer Mm -hmm. in California, and someone actually handed me that book, which I'm realizing now as you say that, to kind of look through. And I read a little bit, and I did like it. It was very inviting. Like, it was something right. easy to read. So I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, I do. I do know what that book is. Um, <laughs> have you, uh, what veganism means to you, like, we talked about how <clears throat> it'll be maybe a few years that you're vegan, but it feels like a lifetime. It feels like a lot. How has yeah. your definition or your ideas around veganism changed as you have learned more and kept doing this research? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, Like I said, you know, my initial exposure to it was because of an interest in health. But it it happened very quickly that I, animals became, you know, my concern for animal rights became my main focus. And I think that is really what led me to becoming fully vegan. Because if I was only interested in it for health or only interested in it for the environmental impact, then, you know, I would have been able to say, oh, I can just do this 90 or 95% of the time and that'll be good enough. Right. You know, and it probably would be good enough from a health perspective. But 
I once I was aware of the harm that I was causing by eating animals and mm-hmm. by eating their bodily secretions, there was no way that I could say to myself, "Oh well, just causing a little bit of torture and killing doesn't matter." Like right. you know, right. just five percent torture. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> what a way to look at it. <laughs> You know, that that wasn't okay with me. And I realized that I hadn't been living in alignment with my own values. You know, mm-hmm. my values of, of peace and nonviolence and compassion. If I wasn't vegan, then I wasn't following those those values, even though I claimed that those were things that I, that I wanted to live by. Right. Um, so, yeah, um, it started with, uh, I guess with health and then very soon after with animals. And I think now the animals is still my main focus, but I think over the years, if it's changed, it's just been to kind of understand how animal rights is interconnected with other social justice issues as well. And those were issues that I was interested in before, even before I was vegan, I was very interested in human rights issues. Uh, When I worked at the UN, most of, I was a translator and most of the documents that I was translating were about human rights. And I actually went on to get a master's degree in human rights. Oh, wow. Um, So that was something that I was very aware of. Um, And then I discovered veganism and that, and then I went down this different path and thought and realized, okay, well, human rights is not enough. That's too narrow a concept. We need to expand rights for all, for all earthlings, yeah. for all sentient beings that we share the planet with. Um, but I don't think I really, you know, fully understood the connections and how we are all connected and right. how what is best for us as humans is also what's best for our fellow earthlings and best for the environment as a whole. Right. And so that's what I've really kind of been exploring over the past few years and, you know, constantly learning, learning new yeah. things. Learn new um, things all the time. Yeah. But essentially veganism for me has always been about showing compassion and living in a peaceful and nonviolent way. Yeah. That's so that's very cool. It sounds very similar to my story too, because I had health issues and that's when I was vegetarian, um, and then I started to look into veganism and then it changed, you know, more for the animals after I found out about all the gross stuff that was happening. And then it became a social justice movement. Which I never mm. would have guessed from the beginning that I would see it like that. You know, I'm just like, oh, I'm vegan. I do my own thing, you know. And right. then it turns into this bigger thing. And then you realize all these ways that it's connected in your everyday life to yeah. all these other social justice issues. And it really it, it really amazes me now um, how my view has changed on it. So that's interesting to hear that yours is very similar. And so yeah. when, I, when I was looking at your blog, I, you know, it's... I think that once you start to learn more about this and look into it, you know, your words are more distinct. And obviously yours is the nomadic vegan. Was there, was that your reason that you did nomadic vegan over using the word plant-based in there? Because I know so many travel bloggers um, that cover vegan issues or plant-based food or other things like that. So many people use the word plant-based, and obviously you're passionate about animals. So from the get-go, were you like, I'm going to use vegan over plant-based, or was that just kind of how it naturally fell? 
Yeah, that was a conscious choice uh, because as soon as I became vegan, I knew that I wanted to do more than just change my own diet, that that wasn't enough. You know, I became quickly very passionate about this cause. I really felt, you know, this huge sense of fulfillment that I'd finally found my cause that I could get behind. And I, I had clarity on what I was supposed to do and how I was supposed to make a better world, which was something that I'd always been wanting to do. But a lot of times I wasn't really sure how, and I would see a lot of conflicting things about, oh, if you're, you know, sending money to Africa for development, is that actually helping people or is it ultimately hurting people? Like, you know, there were so many conflicting ideas about how to help and how to create a better world. And when I discovered veganism, it was just so clear that, yes, this, of course, it's not a panacea. Of course, it's not going to solve all the world's problems, Mm -hmm. but it's going to do a lot. You know, it's going to help in so many ways if we can create a vegan world. And so I I think I've gotten off on a bit of a side track. That's okay. What the question was. I was just asking. I do that all the time. I I like it though. Um, I was just asking you if that was a conscious choice that you made for vegan over plant-based. But yeah, that makes, that makes total sense. If that's, you know, what you're passionate about and your intent. So. Right. Yeah. I mean, from, like I said, from the beginning, I wanted to do more than just change my own diet. I wanted to find a way that I could contribute to the movement Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, further the movement and travel, vegan travel just seemed like a really obvious void that I could fill because when, you know, like I said, I had had all these fears and misconceptions that it was going to be really difficult and I had done some research online and I had found a few things, but not that much. And some of it, some of the things I found were actually really discouraging and saying that it was going to be really difficult. And so, you know, I wanted to counteract that and I knew, okay, I'm a brand new vegan myself, so I can't start giving people nutritional advice or anything like that, you know, I, I don't know a lot yet, but I know my own experience with travel and I have nothing else I can share my experiences and help people that way. Um, so I started the blog right away and, um, and yeah, it was definitely a conscious choice to use the word vegan because that is the point of everything that I'm doing is to promote the vegan message. Very nice. So, You've said a, a couple times that you thought that it'd be really hard to travel, being eating plant based, being vegan, and things like that. So, and then um, I've read and I've heard you say that it was actually easier and it made it more fun. How was it different? Like, were there some things at first that you're like, oh, I need to figure this out as I go to different countries, or what kind of happened? What was that transition like? Yeah, well, so like I said, it took me a few months to kind of make the full transition to vegan. And one of the last things that was holding me back was my fear of travel and fear, you know, that it was going to ruin travel. And my husband and I already had a a trip to Greece that we had booked, you know, months in advance. We were going to go to Greece for three weeks. And so I thought, okay. 
I'm going to give this vegan travel thing a trial run, mm -hmm. and I'm going to see if I can stay vegan and eat nothing but vegan for the three weeks that we're in Greece. Okay. And if I can do that, well, then I might have to, you know, reassess my perceptions of what vegan travel is like and yeah. how difficult it really is. So that's what happened, and my flight landed in Athens on September 10th, 2014, and that is the date that I celebrate every year as my big anniversary. So, <laughs> yeah, so I never looked back. Yeah. Um, it was actually much easier than I thought. Now, I had done some research beforehand okay. uh, before leaving for Greece. So I had, you know, learned a bit about the local cuisine and about the local culture. And I had identified some dishes that, I, that were vegan or that could easily be veganized. And then I discovered more and more while I was there. Yeah. And I was actually astounded at, you know, just how much variety there was and how much abundance of vegan food there was mm -hmm. available to me there. Wow. So... And, and that has continued for the most part. I mean, not everywhere is as vegan-friendly as Greece. Obviously, yeah. there are places that are more vegan-friendly than others. But I've always found a way to make it work. You know, I've never starved. Right. I've never gone hungry. Right. Um, the vegan food is, is always there. And it's just a matter of, yeah, doing a bit of research, you know, coming prepared mm -hmm. and, and then just also a positive mindset, I think, yeah. really helps a lot and just you know not worrying so much about it and you know just expecting that it's going to work out right. and you're gonna find something to eat and then and then it does. I always do <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's what we talked about earlier how our experiences are a little different me traveling with no money I used to do that all the yeah. time I just expect that it's gonna work out and it does and I do feel like yeah. if I sat and worried about oh this isn't gonna show up or it's not gonna be here um, that would make it harder for me, but I've, like you, I've never been hungry or starved or felt like I don't have anything to eat or anything like that. I've found it everywhere. So, right. Yeah. Were any parts hard for you or was it just, it sounds like more like a walk in the park, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's any part or any location that I would really say is hard. Yeah. I mean, some places are easier than others, like I said. So of the places, of the countries that I've traveled to as a vegan, I'd probably say France is the least vegan-friendly. Okay. Um, in terms of, you know, the local cuisine just doesn't have many dishes that are vegan you know, included in the cuisine. The South does have a couple, so it varies regionally as well. Mm -hmm. But I traveled to the north of France, to Normandy, um, shortly after I became vegan. So okay. that was, it was November of that same year. So it was just a couple of months after um, my big anniversary. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I was still pretty worried at that point. I hadn't really, you know, developed this positive mindset and this yeah. confidence that it is going to work out one way or another. Um, especially because we were traveling over Christmas. And so like a lot of things were going to be closed and, um, and I was traveling with my husband who is vegan now, but he wasn't yet at that time. And I knew he was going to be wanting to like taste the traditional local dishes so yeah. we would need to go to the traditional French restaurants that just weren't going to have much for me right but you know so I ended up going to those places and just telling them I'm vegan and asking if they 
could possibly make anything for me, and they did. And the chefs yeah. would, you know, just concoct something that was not at all on the menu. They would just create something yeah. out of the blue that just for me, and it was it was wonderful. They that would you know wonderful. put a lot of effort into the presentation and make it yeah. look really beautiful, as as French chefs like to do. Yeah, and yeah, I had that happen on more than one occasion. And that's just not the impression that I had had of, of French people and French chefs in particular. Yeah. But, you know, I found that once you speak up and, and ask for what you want and mm-hmm. let them know what your needs are, then most of the time people are more than happy to accommodate you, even right. if there's nothing remotely vegan on the menu, right. you know? Yeah, that, I feel like they get excited sometimes, too. They're like, oh, this is a challenge. Like, right. I want to figure this out <laughs> for you. And, and then they present it real nice. They're like, oh, double-checking, how did you like this? And it, it's kind of exciting. It is, yeah. I think they do appreciate it, you know? they. I mean, most of the time they're just doing the same thing day after day, churning yeah. up the same dishes, and right. now they get to show off their creativity. Yeah, um, that's fun yeah. for everyone. Have you found, like, a vegan Mecca somewhere where you're like, wow, this is the most vegan-friendly place that I've been or that you miss often or anything like that? Yeah, I've I've been to a few now. Um, Berlin is probably the first one that comes to mind in terms of European destinations. Berlin really has a reputation as being a vegan Mecca, Uh um, and the vegan movement is really booming there. So I, I've been there, well, I've been a few times, but I've been once as a vegan. It was actually a surprise trip that my husband organized for my 40th birthday. Oh, I knew wow. we were going away somewhere for the weekend, and I didn't know what it was, where we were going. Um, but I suspected it might have been Berlin, and it was. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, there's Berlin, there's Madrid, and Barcelona okay. also have so many amazing vegan restaurants. Um, Lisbon is really great too. I mean, when I became vegan, I, like I said, I was living in Geneva, Switzerland at that time, which is not a vegan Mecca. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's really not very vegan friendly and there, there aren't that many options. I mean, there, there are, there are, if you know where to look and there's lots of ethnic restaurants because it's a very multicultural environment so you can always go to an Indian restaurant or Ethiopian or Chinese or Thai or whatever and find vegan food there right um but in terms of you know specific vegan restaurants or even vegetarian restaurants there really weren't very many but that was you know the environment that I was in when I became vegan so that was what I was used to you know that was my normal to start out with and then when we moved here to Lisbon and there were so many vegan restaurants and yeah, it was pretty amazing to me. That is. And so that, awesome. that's usually, yeah, when I go and travel, I'm pretty surprised to see just how many vegan restaurants there are because there are more and more popping up yeah. all the time. That's so good to hear. When Where I grew up um, in Ohio, there were no, I didn't even know another vegan to begin with, but there were no mm-hmm. restaurants like that. Um, and then where I've lived in North Carolina, I thought it would even be better they have two restaurants that are almost all vegan but they're not and so I don't know if I've ever lived in a place where there's vegan restaurants so that's just the coolest thing to me Um, I'm actually in New Mexico right now but there's Thai vegan here and I just went in there and the whole menu's vegan and I'm like everything's split-based I can eat whatever I want (laughs) it's so weird and a little overwhelming (laughs) but also awesome at the same time 
Yeah, no, it's pretty a pretty neat. amazing feeling to yeah. say, I can have anything on this menu. Yeah, I'll eat any of it. What do you like to do when you travel um, besides the the blogging and the checking out the vegan restaurants and stuff? What are your other activities that you think you do the most? Yeah, good question. Um, I mean, depending on what kind of place we're in, like um, – my husband and I are going to be leaving for Africa, I think I mentioned, in yeah. just a couple of weeks. So that trip is going to be mostly about wildlife, okay. you know, and seeing the animals and, um, well, to some extent, maybe interacting with the animals. Yeah. Maybe not with lions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you better vlog about that if you do that. I want to know how that goes. <laughs> um, yeah, so... I, obviously, I love animals, so I love any opportunity to kind of admire them or interact with them, mm-hmm. as long as it's in an ethical way. Right. You know, I don't visit zoos or SeaWorld or things like that, right. and I don't ride elephants. Um, yeah, although, you know, I'm ashamed to say, but I, I have ridden an elephant years right. ago before I was vegan because I just didn't know. Yeah. I wasn't aware yeah, of, of all the horrible things that that are done to these animals in order Mm -hmm. to, you know, quote unquote, tame them and domesticate them to the point that tourists can ride them. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was horrified when I found out. I also had a selfie taken with a tiger at the Tiger Temple in Thailand, which Mm -hmm. is another thing that I'm really ashamed of. Um, And even at the time, I didn't like that experience. It left a really bad taste in my mouth. Um, So, you know, I... I didn't always travel as ethically as I do now, and I messed up a lot. Yeah. I'm sure I'll continue to mess up. You know, I'm constantly learning and and growing. Um, But, yeah, so getting off sidetracked a little bit. Yeah, so I love interactions with wildlife. Yeah. (laughs) Or at least, you know, just watching wildlife. I also love hiking. Okay. Um, So I enjoy outdoor activities. I'm actually not a very good cyclist. I'm not very comfortable on a bike. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I like the idea of bike touring. Yeah. I think it would be a great way to travel in theory, but I'm just not very good at it. No, very, it's, I'm not either. If I did it enough, I'd be comfortable. But. <laughs> right, right. I did it when I did um, it last year for the first time. It was an uncomfortable thought to me, and it still is now after doing it. So I understand oh, really? that. Yeah, yeah. That's totally okay. Okay. Yeah. But I'm comfortable on my feet. I love hiking. Um, so that's something that we do a lot. And then if it's if it's in Europe or, you know, some place that has lots of history and lots of culture, then I enjoy the architecture. I enjoy just wandering around the city mm-hmm. and, you know, learning about the history. Sometimes I'll take little walking tours, guided walking tours, things like that. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I tend to be pretty active when I travel. You know, I'm not what you would call a slow traveler, mm-hmm. which is uh, kind of a trend nowadays. And that's great. I know a lot of people who travel that way. And, uh, for example, with house sitting, yeah. you know, you can travel really cheaply if you can get a house sit somewhere and stay right. there for maybe a month or two months while the owners are away. And that will give you a home base for free mm-hmm. and you can explore the area while you're there. Right. Um you know, that's, that's great, but it's just not the way that I travel. Um, I tend to kind of move pretty quickly and, you know, keep going to the next destination every few days or so. So if I, when I go to a country, I kind of like to do as much as I can and feel like I've really seen everything in the country that I wanted to see. Yeah. 
Very cool. So do you think that this is always one of those questions and I'm like, that's a really annoying question, but I ask it anyways, Mm -hmm. just in case you have a really good answer, anything you want to share on it. Um, what, is there something that you feel like you've now learned traveling vegan, going to all these different places that you didn't, um, get from your experience before? Is there any new lesson Um, that you think you've taken out of that? You mean traveling vegan as opposed to when I was traveling before I was vegan? Yeah, yeah. Because I know every time we travel, it's like you're seeing all these new people and you're going these new places. And I feel like it's a lot of information and learning to process. Yeah. Is there anything that's kind of came out of that for you where you're like, hmm, that's a definite lesson? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's given me, it's opened up a new window you know, and given me a new viewpoint from which to view different cultures, really, mm-hmm. uh, and experience those cultures in a way that most visitors don't. So, for example, um, on the trip to Greece, which is where I went vegan, as I said before, you know, I did do some research beforehand to see, you know, what kind of things I might expect, what kind of things I might be able to eat. And in the process of that research, I discovered a lot about the culture and the religion in particular of Greece, mm-hmm. uh, because in the Greek Orthodox church, they actually have what they call fasting days. Okay. And this, the way they use the term fasting, it doesn't mean that you don't eat anything at all. It just means that you follow certain rules and restrictions about what you do and don't eat. And they're almost eating a vegan diet. Oh, Just wow. a couple of exceptions. It's yeah. almost all vegan. So they do eat honey and they do eat some aquatic animals. They mm-hmm. won't eat fish, but they'll eat shrimps and oysters and um, octopus, other animals like that. Yeah. Um, but no fish, no land animals, and no dairy products and no eggs. Okay. So yeah, that means that, you know, there are lots of Greek dishes that are vegan because, you know, there's these dishes that are suitable for fasting mm-hmm. um, that have kind of grown up around this fasting culture. And there are, if you follow it, you know, fully, there are something like 180 days out of the year are fasting days in the Greek Orthodox calendar. Um, A lot of days. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, that means that, you know, there are lots of people that are looking for these fasting options, vegan options. Um, And actually, I learned the word in Greek for fasting food. Okay. uh, Which is nistissimo. Okay. And and that was what I asked for. I didn't ask for vegan food because most people probably don't know what that is. Yeah. The vegan movement is still not really that strong in Greece, although it's getting stronger. But I found that it was much more effective if I just asked for something nistissimo for fasting food because that was a concept that they understood that that was already yeah. part of their culture. And it was a real easy shortcut for me to, you know, get my needs across. And then I would just say, and also no seafood you know and that basically covered everything right um so but I learned a lot about you know the Greek church and the Greek religion the orthodox religion that I wouldn't have known before right and um yeah and it also it kind of gave me a reason and still does whenever I travel gives me a reason to start up a conversation with people Mm -hmm. who I might not have talked to otherwise because I'm actually kind of shy I'm very much an introvert yeah and even though I love meeting people and talking to people especially one-on-one 
I'm not often going to be the person who's going to initiate that conversation because I'm just too shy to do that. But, you know, now I have to talk to people because I have to ask these questions. (laughs) Right, right, right. (laughs) Um, And then it often leads to really interesting conversations. And so, yeah, I think for me it really has kind of enhanced my travels and made them more interesting and fulfilling in that way. Yeah, that's wonderful to hear. Um, because I do, I, I know a lot of other people or I've read things where people like, I love to travel, but I could never be vegan because it's going to be too hard or anything like that. So I hope these people are getting to listen to this episode and that they're kind of encouraged to try it out because it sounds like you've learned so much from that. Um, yeah. And off, well, I guess it can be on the topic of veganism still or, um, off of it. Do you have any, like, fond travel memories that you'd like to share or funny ones or hard ones? I just, I really like travel stories, you know, when you're sitting around with a bunch mm. of people and they're sharing things. Do you have anything like that that you'd like to share? Well, yeah, I could think of lots of them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a very well, big question. It's pretty fresh in my mind because it's a pretty recent experience, and I briefly mentioned it before. I walked the Camino de Santiago. Right. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's a medieval pilgrimage route mm-hmm. um, that leads to a city in the far west of Spain called Santiago de Compostela. Okay. And the remains, the relics of St. James, the Apostle St. James, are said to be kept in the cathedral of Santiago. Santiago is the Spanish name for St. James. Mm-hmm. And so... Yeah, in medieval times, so hundreds and hundreds of years ago, people would travel there on foot uh, from wherever they lived. Basically, they'd just walk outside their front door and start walking uh, all the way to Santiago de Compostela. And so in recent times, it's kind of gained popularity again. Mm -hmm. And there are lots of people who are doing it, some for religious reasons as a kind of religious pilgrimage, but others just for more vague spiritual reasons they're on kind of a spiritual quest and you know maybe also because they want to experience the history and the culture and they want to just you know have a different experience in Spain and Mm -hmm. because you definitely do see places when you walk through them you know these tiny villages you see parts of Spain that you never would see if you were traveling by bus or by car or train or whatever. Um, So it was a really fabulous experience for me. Even though I was having kind of physical difficulties, I developed something called plantar fasciitis. Oh, yeah. You know about that? Yeah, my dad has that, yeah. Uh, (laughs) I don't know if he wanted me to say that in an interview. I don't know if he cares. But, yeah, my dad has that, so I've heard a lot about that. Okay. Uh, Yeah, so it basically just makes it very painful to walk. Right. Um, Yeah, that's, like, the worst place to get that. (laughs) Yeah, so it was pretty tough. Um, But then on day 29, I think it was, was when I actually finally figured out how to walk without pain and that was when I bought a pair of Crocs you know the like sandals yeah (laughs) and I walked I walked in Crocs for the last 10 days or so wow and that was great Crocs to the rescue (laughs) wow finally some good things about Crocs (laughs) yeah um but 
apart from the physical pain, it was a wonderful experience for me in a lot of ways, mostly because of the people that I met along the way, actually. And I was viewing it as kind of a spiritual journey. I was kind of interested in spirituality, even though I... I still don't really know exactly where I stand on that. Some days I think I'm an atheist and some days I think I'm agnostic and some days I'm like really interested in all this supernatural stuff. Um, So I still don't exactly have, you know, answers, but I think that the general answer that I got from the Camino was that, you know, spirituality comes from connections with other people Mm -hmm. and that that's really what it's all about. And I made some really deep and wonderful connections with people who, if I had met them on the street anywhere else, I don't think we would have become friends. You know, on the surface, it looks like we didn't necessarily have that much in common. Um, But we connected nevertheless. And this, you know, experience kind of brought us together and, I feel like the Camino really brings out the best in people. I Mm -hmm. saw so many examples of people just being kind and generous to each other and helping each other out. And um, I'll give you one example. There's this guy, a Spanish guy, uh, who's from Barcelona originally. His name is David. And he set up this little stand, this little refreshment stand, I guess you would call it, just in the middle of nowhere, (laughs) you know, on the trail, and and you're walking, you know, yeah, through fields, and there's absolutely nothing, no civilization surrounding you, and then you come across this little stand, and he calls it the House of the Gods, La Casa de los Dioses, and he has all these health healthy foods it's it's mostly plant-based foods wow and like the craziest kinds of really hard to find foods too i have no <laughs> idea how he does it but you know he had tahini he had spirulina <laughs> what wow <laughs> um and soy yogurt what? and wow. yeah and you know things in, like he would get particular things that he knew that people from around the world would be missing and craving from home. Yeah. So, you know, he had peanut butter for the Americans, yes. example. <laughs> uh, I'm a big peanut butter fiend, so Same I went here. straight for that. Yeah. And he was like, oh, you're American. <laughs> <laughs> like, how'd you know? Is it my love of peanut butter? <laughs> <laughs> and then he had Vegemite for the Australians, which is something that they really love. Okay. Uh, there was maple syrup for the Canadians, oh. you know, so... Yeah, it was just really crazy, and he wasn't charging. I mean, he had a donation box there, and people could leave a donation if they wanted to, but he would say, it's free, take whatever you want, the Camino provides, sit here, have a rest, you know, here's a glass of fresh-squeezed watermelon juice, and just take as much fresh fruit as you want. Yeah. And it was just so inspiring just to be around him, even just for a few minutes, and I... And he was living there, and it was in the middle of nowhere, um, like I said. And he really had very little in the way of material possessions and, you know, creature comforts. Like, he was just sleeping out in the open in this little kind of shelter, but, you know, it had open walls, like just a couple of walls there and maybe a roof, I'm not sure. Um, And, yeah, he, he had nothing And yet he had everything that he needed. Right. And, you know, he was giving away so much with complete confidence that everything that he needed was going to come back to him. Yeah. And it was, you know, you could tell that he, 
you know, he was so happy and he had everything he needed. And yeah, I was just so inspired by that. And that was when I really felt the spirit of the Camino, which is just all about, for me, it's all about connecting with people, giving to people and yeah, just being generous. Wow. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, you're welcome. That is so beautiful. I have seen that a lot traveling. It seems like the people um, sometimes that are giving the most are the ones that have the least physical items with them. And somehow they, mm. they always do seem the happiest. I, I, I've i seen that um, biking the Trans-America Trail and different things like that. So that is so cool. I love that. That's, that's so beautiful. That's such a good story. <laughs> <laughs> now Thanks, I'm gonna, yeah, to, I'm gonna be too. more interested I'm gonna look in the trail more because that just sounds like such a transformative journey to walk that yeah how many miles yeah. were you doing a day or did you have just kind of a rough yeah I mean I was uh, probably slower than average because of the plantar fasciitis that so I really couldn't do that many miles and again I was thinking in kilometers so I'm not very good at converting okay but I was doing probably about 22 kilometers per day okay um so I don't know that might be 15 miles or so I'm not exactly sure um in total it was 800 kilometers which is about 500 miles okay um, and I walked that in a total of 39 days. Oh, wow. Um, so wow. with a couple of rest days, um, there were a couple of days that I didn't walk at all. So yeah. say 37 days of walking. Wow. That's yeah. awesome. That is so cool. I, I saw that you had a video up about that, that you posted, yeah. correct? Okay. I'll put some links in the, um, podcast description so people can check that out if they want to know yeah. more about that story and share some of your stuff on that. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, because I, as soon as I got back, I, I, I literally filmed that video like five minutes after I got back to my <laughs> home in Lisbon. Yeah. I, I wanted to, yeah, share the experience because it was so wonderful. And also, you know, share information and advice for vegetarians and vegans who wanted to walk the Camino and were worried about, again, about finding food. Right. Um, because, yeah, it's something that I do hear a lot and I met vegetarians and vegans along the way and a lot of them were struggling and I really didn't struggle and again you know I was astounded by just how many vegan options there were but you know a lot of that is because I speak the language and I had already done a lot of research on Spanish cuisine and knew what to ask for and things like that and there's the mindset I think that has a big part of it that's a huge part of it Um, Yeah. So yeah, I wanted to, you know, give some advice so that other people could hopefully have that positive experience too and not, not be scrounging around. And they know what they're going, like what they might find going in. I think that's really helpful because people, people do worry and I feel like it can take away from your experience a little bit while you're there. Um, yeah, but yeah. how do you? It's so funny, like the way we operate. Because I'm so unplanned, and I'm never researched, and I'm just like, oh, I'm just gonna wing it and figure it out as you go. But I guess right. I, you know, I, I have been to a handful of other countries, um, but I felt like I lived there for a while, so I felt more at home, and I felt comfortable, and I felt like I'd figured it out after a while. But how do you plan to go to different countries? Do you look up what restaurants are there? What's that process like a little bit? Because I'm completely clueless because I I never plan anything. So I'm wondering (laughs) what what that looks like. Yeah, probably the first thing that I do is I check Happy Cow. Oh, yeah. Do you know about the Happy Cow app? Yes, definitely. 
Yeah, uh, so it's an app, and it's also a website, so um, I think it costs maybe 4 or $5 for the app, which is really useful to have that on your phone when yeah. you're traveling, um, but you can do the preliminary research, you know, just on the website as well, right. and basically it's a huge crowdsourced directory of vegan, vegetarian, and just veg-friendly restaurants all over the world. Okay. And it's crowdsourced, so that means that anyone can add to it. You know, if you come across a veg-friendly restaurant in New Mexico that's not already in Happy Cow, then you could create your own listing so that people who go there will also find out about it. Um, so that's the first place I check. Uh, yeah, and if, if it's a a veg-friendly place, then that may be all that I do, you know, because yeah. if there's already lots of options there, then that might be more yeah. than I have time to visit anyway. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there are some places, like in Africa, there are definitely going to be lots of places where there's not going to be any listings on, Af on, on Happy Cow. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that there's not any vegan options there. Yeah. You know, it just means that... Probably people haven't that not that many people have been there because mm -hmm. I'm going to be going to you know places like Zimbabwe and Zambia and Namibia where they're just not major tourist destinations right. and they don't get the same kind of traffic as you know major European cities. So that's one reason that there aren't that many listings. And yeah, it, people just may not realize even if the cuisine is veggie friendly, they may not know that because you know, the vegan movement isn't strong there, and so they don't see vegan yeah, labels yeah. and vegetarian labels, you know, on the menus and things like that, and they don't realize that the dishes are actually vegan. Right. Um, so if it's a place like that, then I will definitely do further research into the cuisine itself, and that's what I'm doing a little bit of right now for this uh, trip to Africa. And so for South Africa, I am finding quite a few vegan restaurants and vegetarian restaurants, and it Yay. does seem like the movement is really picking up some steam there. Okay. So that's exciting. Yeah. Um, but for the, the other countries that I'm visiting, I haven't really found very much at all. So the next step is going to be, yeah, finding out more about the cuisine and just learning about different African dishes and, you know, which ones might be vegan-friendly. So, for example, I know that there is a like the staple food is like a corn meal gosh I don't really know what you would call it in English it's just this mush that's mm -hmm. made out of cornmeal okay basically and so you you would traditionally eat that with your hands and you would just pick off a piece of it and then you'd kind of mop up some kind of stew or some kind of sauce and, and use that as kind of the carrier for, for the okay. sauce, um, which is something that I've seen in other parts of Africa. I have been to Eastern Africa and Western Africa before, and now I'm going to Southern Africa, which is a part that I've never been to. Mm -hmm. So I know that that is kind of the main staple, and that is totally vegan. Ooh. And I'm sure that some of these stews and sauces are going to be vegan too. They're going to be vegetable-based or bean-based or peanut-based because yeah. they use a lot of peanut sauce. Um, in African cuisine. Okay. So, and greens, they use some dark leafy greens as well. Um, I mean, you know, Africa is not really a place that you go on a foodie trip, yeah. whether you're vegan or not, right? Yeah. Like, the, it's not really known for its cuisine. And especially when you're traveling to really poor areas where people do not have the luxury of deciding what they're going to eat. You right. know, they 
some of the many of them don't get enough to eat every day and so you know it's not about a culinary experience right. um it's about just finding out what the local options are what the local people are eating and which of those things are going to be suitable for me okay. um yeah and i'm i'm pretty confident that there are going to be you know at least a few options because yeah. that's usually the case in you know poor cuisines cuisines that are eaten by disadvantaged people it usually is largely plant-based just because that's the most affordable option right in cases um so yeah i mean the research i guess kind of varies depending on where i'm going and what Mm -hmm. kind of place it is um but yeah happy cow i would definitely check first but then if you don't see any listings in happy cow don't freak out and don't start thinking oh well there's not going to be any vegan food there um because that's probably not true i mean vegan food is everywhere yeah fresh produce is everywhere you can always find fresh fruits and vegetables you know beans and lentils and rice um potatoes you know depending where you are you know some of these things are going to be more common than others but you're going to be finding those things pretty much anywhere you go um yeah, so it's just a matter of, yeah, discovering a little bit more about the local cuisine and how people eat and, yeah, which dishes you might want to try. Okay, perfect. Thank you. That's very, that's so helpful because that's actually steps that you can take to start to look at it. So thank you. I really appreciate that. That is cool. I'm going to have to try that <laughs> in future <laughs> times because that sounds like fun to do a little bit of research as well. So very yeah, cool. Yeah, so like... Yeah, like I've been watching YouTube videos, for example, or I haven't watched that many yet, but I've at least got them bookmarked of, you know, people who are doing cooking demonstrations of African cooking, and a lot of them look like they might be vegan dishes, so I'm going to watch those and see if they are, and then I'll make a note of the name of the dish uh, so I can look out for it. Um, You can also find this stuff on blogs in written form as well if you don't, if you're not so much into watching videos. Um, you know, there's lots of information out there, yeah. but yeah, it does take a little bit of time to, to do the research. And I realize that not everyone enjoys that. So that is actually what I'm doing on my blog on the nomadic vegan, yeah, kind you of provide it. all this information, right. um, you know, and doing the research for people so that they don't have to do it themselves when they get there. That's, that's actually a perfect transition. Cause I wanted to talk to you about your book that mm. you said you just put out two weeks ago. Um, and I was looking at it when it, it wasn't out yet, but I think it was a sample of it and reading reviews of what other people had said. So can you just tell us about your inspiration for the book that you wrote and basically what the book is? Yeah, I'd love to. So uh, it's called Veggie Planet, Uncovered the Vegan Treasures Hiding in Your Favorite World Cuisines. Ooh. And <laughs> so in the book, I talk about 11 of the world's most popular cuisines. Okay. So probably your favorites and the ones that you're going to find when you're eating out, whether it's in your hometown or when you're traveling. So if you think about Chinese, for example, Italian, Indian, Middle Eastern, uh, Thai, you know, these are some of the cuisines that are covered in the book. And I highlight just some of the many vegan dishes that are part of these cuisines and Mm -hmm. show just how vegan friendly they really are and kind of go into a bit of the background and the history uh, of the culture and explaining why 
the culture and the cuisine is so vegan friendly, it might be for religious reasons in the case of Greece, or it might be just for geographic or other cultural reasons. Um, and I focused on those, like I said, the most popular cuisines because I wanted the book to be useful, not just for people who are traveling to these particular countries, um, but people who are eating out anywhere, even if it is just in your own hometown. So for example, Chinese, obviously you don't have to go to China to taste Chinese food. You can find a Chinese restaurant on just about every corner these days. Yeah, yeah, know, And most countries really have, have at least one Chinese restaurant. And... These are all very, yeah, naturally plant-based cuisines, even though that's not really generally known in some cases, like Italian food. I think people just think pepperoni pizza, and they think all about the meats and the cheese, but that's not really what authentic Italian cuisine is. It's it's really very plant-based. So I talk about, yeah, some of the dishes you can find both in that country, and then I also talk about what you might find in ethnic restaurants you know, outside of that country that serve those types of ethnic cuisines. Because, like I said, sometimes it does differ a bit. You know, an Italian restaurant in the U.S. is going to be a bit different from an Italian restaurant in Italy. So I have, I cover both those scenarios, and each chapter has a section, you know, on both those cases. Um, Yeah, so I'm just trying to show people how vegan-friendly the world really is and how there are more options than you think. Yeah, what feedback have you gotten so far about the book? I know you can, you can really, yeah, you can go online and read it, but just, you know, for people that <laughs> haven't done that yet. Yeah, it's been really positive. So it's gotten, I think, 24 reviews so far on Amazon, okay. which is pretty good because it's only been out for a couple of weeks. Yeah. And yeah, almost all of them five stars and then I think one four star review. So yeah, people are loving the book and like I said, it's not just people who travel. I've had people who tell me, actually, I hate traveling, uh, <laughs> but I still love this book and I've yeah. learned so much from it. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. Know? That's like the best review. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's great, you know, whether you're vegan or not, I think you're definitely going to learn something from the book. Uh, if you are already vegan, then you're eyes may be open to some of the options that you didn't know were available to you or you know you might discover cuisines that you haven't tasted before um that turn out to be really vegan friendly and and then if you aren't vegan then yeah a lot of this probably is going to be new information and you're going to start seeing these cuisines from a whole different viewpoint, you know, and kind of rediscover cuisines that you thought you already knew mm-hmm. and discover that there's actually a lot more to them. Oh, wow. That's amazing. I'm so excited. I need to, I need, now that I'm more settled, I need to get back online and get a copy of this so I can read it and, and tell people <laughs> about it because that is so helpful. I'm sure that, um, like, cause I know that I'm learning things all the time about new foods. And after I went vegan, I felt not like I was forced, but I was looking to try new foods um, to replace yeah. other things that I had or all these different foods that I had never even looked at before because before I was like, ooh, that looks gross. Um, but then mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that actually looks really cool. So I'm sure that there's so many of those in the book. And you also are doing the One Book, Ten Lives campaign, right? Yes. Can you tell me about that a little bit? I would love to, yes. So One Book, Ten Lives is a hashtag campaign that I'm using to spread awareness and basically raise money 
uh, for the Humane League, okay. which is a wonderful organization that does a lot of grassroots education outreach to educate people about the impact of their diet and to encourage them to, um, you know, reduce or eliminate animal products mm-hmm. from their diet. And then they also work with corporations as well to reduce the suffering of animals in agriculture. And so One Book, Ten Lives basically means based on research that was done by animal charity evaluators, Mm -hmm. they have estimated, sorry, I I didn't explain fully. I'm donating (laughs) part of the proceeds of every copy of Veggie Planet. I left that part out. So yes, uh, for every book that's sold, I'm donating part of that uh, to the Humane League. And based on the statistics provided by animal charity evaluators, they have estimated that the amount donated for every book is enough to spare the lives of 10 animals from right. a life of suffering in industrial agriculture. Mm-hmm. So for every book sold, we spare 10 lives, which wow. is a wonderful feeling. Yeah, that is wonderful. Wow. Um, that is so awesome. Uh, can people share that then on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, yeah, wherever absolutely. they want to? Yes, okay. yes. I would uh, love it if people would use the hashtag, which is one book, 10 lives. Okay. And just to spread awareness. And I do actually have a post on my blog that has some pre-written tweets and mm-hmm. some pre-made uh, images for Instagram. So if you're not sure exactly what to post, if you want to just go there, um, I have a an article called how one book can spare 10 lives. And then all you have to do is, cl- you know, click the tweet and it'll just send the, the tweet out for you. Oh yeah. Uh, that's, so that's, that's an easy, easy way to do it. Yeah. That's um, really cool. But... <laughs> it's not too hard. <laughs> yeah. But if you want to write, you know, your own thing and just say, Hey, I heard about this cool book, one book, 10 lives. Um, then yeah, that'd be great too. Okay. Awesome. Can people find your book? Is it on Amazon then? Is that the place where they should be buying it? Yep, it's on Amazon. It's available both as an ebook for Kindle and also as a paperback. Okay. Um, and they can also download a free chapter uh, from my website. So maybe you can leave this in the show notes. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you leave links normally. Oh, yeah, definitely. But, um, okay. Um, so if you go to thenomadicvegan.com slash veggieplanet, then that's a page that will tell you a bit more about the book and about One Book, Ten Lives, and you can download a free sample chapter from there as well. Oh, that's awesome. That is so awesome. I hope that, um, I know that a lot of my friends who are vegan listen to this, so that would be cool to get their feedback and see if they check it out as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Great. I'd love to hear. Yeah. Is there anything else that you kind of wanted to add or talk about? I've picked your brain. I've asked so many questions, but (laughs) is there anything else that you've kind of thought about that you'd like to share? Um, we have been talking quite a while, so, um, I think we've mostly covered it, but I mean, if I had final, you know, any kind of final words to Mm -hmm. share, it it would just be, you know, traveling as a vegan is a lot easier than you probably think that it is. So just give it a try and, um, you know, just go into it with a positive mindset. That is actually my number one tip for success as a vegan traveler or in any aspect of life really is to just look for abundance and that's what you're going to find. Whereas Mm. if you look for scarcity and lack, then that is what you're going to attract and that's what you're going to find. 
Um, oh, so try. Why not look for abundance? It's a lot more fun. Yes, it is. It's so much more fun. That's been something <laughs> that I have learned definitely through my travels. So thank you. That is such such a great message. Well, thank you so much. I'm really excited to put this episode out and give people um, all that knowledge and information. So really, thank you for your time and answering all these questions and all the work <laughs> no. that you've done on your blog and in your book. Oh, well, thank you for asking such great questions, yeah. and I love talking about this stuff and getting the word out to people that, you know, vegan tra- travel can be really fun and enjoyable and accessible, and, you know, the, the vegan living in general is also really fun and enjoyable right. and fulfilling as well, so right. thank you for giving me the opportunity to share that. Yeah, of course. All right, so that is this week's interview. If you would like to find me on social media, I will put all the links to that in this podcast description. I will also put links to Wendy's blog, where you can find Wendy, and Wendy's book, so you should definitely check that out. I'm so excited. Like I said, I've read the sample pages, but I do want to get the book and read it because it sounds amazing. And like we said, money gets donated to help other animals, so that is something really, really good to invest your money in if you're interested in that thing. So make sure to check out all these links in the description. If you would like to support me, you can go to patreon.com slash Kaylin, C-A-L-E-N, and there you can make monthly donations. Um, And I still need to figure that out if you can just make a one-time donation or not. But either way, if you'd like to do that, I'm open to that too. Anything that you have to give helps. And if you don't want to support me that way, but you still want to, rating me in iTunes would be super helpful, and then leaving any comments or reviews that you have, and then just sharing things that you like to hear, because there's always other people um, who are looking for more information and new knowledge, and sometimes you send just the right thing. I know that's definitely happened to me. So once again, thank you for listening, and stay tuned for next week's episode. See ya!